from Transport Topics in Washington, D.C. This is Road Signs. And now here's your host, Michael Fries. Thank you for listening to Road Signs, the podcast series from Transport Topics that explores the trends and technologies that are shaping the future of trucking. Before we dive into today's episode, we'd like to invite you to subscribe to Transport Topics where you can receive exclusive access of our top 100 lists, quarterly magazines, and other news surrounding the trucking industry. To subscribe, visit ttn.ws forward slash TT subscribe. You can also text TT subscribe to 571-622-0001 to become an official member of Transport Topics. That's 571-622-0001. In today's episode, we're going to take a deep dive into electric vehicles, a popular topic in the transportation industry. For quite some time, we've heard a lot about the arrival of EV Class 8 deliveries to several fleets. As the vehicles gain much-needed road experience, the conversation about them has shifted to another area, repair and maintenance. As the EV continues to grow in adoption on the commercial level, many concerns linger on how we maintain them, as well as the future of commercial EV repair. So for this episode, we'll ask, what's under the hood of the electric vehicle? And what will the maintenance process look like? To answer that question, we have two guests well-versed in that subject. We'll speak to Steve Selinski from Dana Incorporated later in the program about the e-components of the electric vehicle. But first, let's talk about the state of battery maintenance with Trent Roberg, CEO of the vehicle transport firm, Assertus. Welcome to the show, Trent. Mike, thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Pleasure to have you on. You know, you're in the business of, of moving cars, and definitely you are well aware of the, the trend of EVs as it's coming coming on strong, definitely in the, the passenger market that, that you've been a, a big part of. You know, but in this space, the commercial trucking space, you know, there's a, you know, a, an anticipation for, you know, the, the, the incoming of EVs. And, and not just for the, the OEM, I mean, the OEMs are, that these fleets are ordering from, but also the, the battery maintenance that, that's involved. And, and with batteries, that's sort of the, the, the heart and nervous system of the EVs, similar to the, the, um, the internal combustion engine, the, the ice of the, of the diesel. And, and just from in your space, and just, you know, in, that, in, in, in getting to know that, that battery maintenance space, especially when it comes to EVs, you know, can you just describe for us just the importance of that? Yeah, thanks for having me again, uh, Michael. You, you know, the EVs create a lot of challenges when it comes, a lot of opportunities and challenges when it comes to not just maintenance, but the infrastructure to support the maintenance, um, the uh, roadworthiness of the vehicles, the weight of the vehicles. We could go down a lot of different different conversations here, but but the one thing to keep uh, uh, keep mind of when you're when you're thinking battery maintenance is much like your iPhone. It's much like any other battery out there. You don't want to charge it to 100% all the time, and you don't want it to go down to zero all the time. So you've got this sweet spot that you'll see 20% to 80% that you want to keep that battery from a maintenance perspective. That creates additional challenges. It does reduce uh, travel transit times and and, uh, and and does take some time to get charged. But that's a, that's a sweet spot right now from, a, from a, an EV perspective. You know, from uh, that beginning explanation, just kind of the akin to the cell phone that you're just referring to, is that type of the, is, is it that type of mindset that that technicians should have 
when, when entering into battery maintenance? Because you know, there's some people listening right now that are small and mid-sized fleets who are, are just you know, um, curious about this, this world of EVs that are coming. So when, when they do have that EV vehicle, you know, of course, you're going to have to worry about the maintenance. Is that the type of mind shift that technicians should have just in, in the sense of that battery being like a cell phone? Yeah, it's, it's a completely different um, propulsion system, right? So w- when you think about the, the ICE vehicles that have been around for, for you know, a century, uh, there's a lot of advantages because of the infrastructure built up around that, the knowledge, the technology, the parts for parts and service. When you think about the, the distribution of those parts and services and when things break, you need to fix them quickly. Um, so there's a myriad of supply chain challenges that will also come alongside and ride alongside uh, the EV uh, adoption rates. Um, but, but yeah, I think, you know, if you're an engineer and, and you're, you're a shop, you're a fleet, you need to be thinking about, uh, you mentioned that you mentioned the term they're curious. And I think that's the general gist of the industry is this general curiosity, because the reality is, uh, you know, you have, you know, less than, uh, 1% of uh, commercial trucks out there on the road that are EV. And from a sales perspective and forecasting, um, we'll still persist that, that low level um, going forward. Obviously, light duty will adopt and has adopted first, and that will push into the class eight. Yeah, uh, yeah. To um, to that particular point, you know, there's fleets like UPS and, and other large size fleets who have um, gone into the EV realm, but in metro cities, you know, on that that last mile uh, segment, you know, in in Houston and, and in Atlanta, to name a few cities. Um, you know, so just easing into that or easing into that process. So I, I, you know, the the lighter, I mean, the the smaller fleets and those mid fleets is. Uh, is that uh, the EV space? I mean, that that would be something that uh, would be uh, at least economically viable, wouldn't it be, for them to enter in? Yeah, I mean, there's a few different things to think about when you're a fleet owner. It's obviously length of haul that's your biggest challenge. Uh, the time to charge your infrastructure associated to that. So the way that we support a lot of these light duty vehicles throughout our facilities it, are are those final mile type delivery components. They're the bread boxes of the light duty vehicles. Um, less so on the class eights right now. There's a few uh, big commercial fleets that are, I, I live in Phoenix, Arizona, and it seems to be a hotbed for trials and, and testing uh, because it's flat when you're driving between here and LA. And, and the, there are some, you know, AB InBev and, and Pepsi and many others that are testing uh, in, a, in a short range capacity. But the biggest challenge is you got to charge them. So you can't run these, you can't do a drop and hook scenario. So you've got to, you know, you've got to charge these because they can't run, you know, over, you know, as much as obviously a nice vehicle can. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, that's, that's sort of the, the disadvantage in, in, in that regard, but, but however, you know, let's get into the nitty gritty of it just uh, in battery performance and having that EV, let's say I'm, I'm a, I'm a small fleet midsize owner. I got a, I got an army of EV, uh, EVs ready to go. And, you know, I've been rolling them at, at, at you know, for, for a while now and, and it's time to do some maintenance. Um, you know, what are some of the things, what are some of the initial things that a fleet owner needs to be aware of when he has or she has that those fleets of EVs uh, for, for a few months now? What were those um, considerations? Well, generally speaking, uh, you know, an EV is less maintenance because it doesn't have as many moving parts. So, so that's a positive. When you think about, you know, right now it's really going through this innovation cycle. So there's a lot of brake fixes in 
in a lot of EVs out there that, that, are, that are just uh, trial and error, right? You're building the plane while you're flying it, so to speak. So <laughs> the adaptability, and, 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 and once again, it's, it's the service infrastructure that's challenged here. It's, you've got to send typically technicians out versus having a third party come to the truck on the roadside to fix something. So you've got to get a network here that, that can support these. You've got to get physical infrastructure. You might have a, a couple of different DCs, hubs, uh, fleet shops, but you've got to get partnerships probably outside of that that can service you if you're, if you're uh, functioning as a hub and spoke model. So really it's, it's, it's a little more broad based and you've got to send the technicians in many times. It depends on the situation here because Keeping in mind, the majority of the challenges that are on the road, when you think about brake fixes, are trailer doors and lights and tires and, and brakes, and those are all the same, right? So, so you really service them the same way you, uh, you otherwise would. So, so hopefully in the long run, this will actually reduce uh, service costs and, and increase uh, the depreciation or longevity of these vehicles on the road. You had mentioned the, you know, the, the, the challenges to that, you know, the supply chain of the, of the infrastructure, of building the infrastructure, and that's just one, one of the main concerns of EVs all altogether. Uh, what, what are some of those particular pain points that that are such a struggle? Well, the first and foremost is simply just the charging infrastructure needed here. If you're talking about a uh, a vehicle, some of these new uh, Class Eight trucks have batteries that weigh as much as, uh, you know, ten Model S Plaid batteries. So you're talking a huge capacity for charging need uh, from a kilowatt hour perspective, and that's your biggest challenge. So once again, it's being able to charge them quickly, charge them from an infrastructure that makes sense for you because they're obviously down and they're not moving when they're charging. What's interesting to me is, uh, you know, a lot of these OEMs, and there's plenty of OEMs, whether it's PACCAR and many others that are coming out right now, with, but I think PACCAR's got seven different EVs on the on the road, so there's a lot of testing. The infrastructure will follow with the infrastructure bills passed by the, by the administration, but it's going to take some time. The adoption and and the, the demand for EVs will outpace the infrastructure for for years. Hello, roadside listeners. Dan Ronan here from Transport Topics. I'm here to tell you about our new extended cuts of the Roadsides podcast. If you like what you learn here, I think you're going to really love this. So what is the Roadsides extended cut? Well, instead of ending the recording and saying our guest farewells, we're keeping our expert guests around for an extra one or two questions to gather a deeper, fuller picture of the influential topics in transportation. We capture that insight and convert it into a printable download that will help you navigate the latest trucking trends and guide your next business decision. Considering the easy, linkable, and printable format, you can keep the extended cut for your next big meeting, send it to your friends and colleagues, or pack it up for your next big conference. So how do you get the latest download? Well, it's real simple. Visit ttn.ws forward slash extended cut. That's ttn.ws forward slash extended cut. So I mean, you know, that that sounds like a, a situation of the of the uh, the chicken and egg or horse and cart, however you want to put that, yeah. because you know, you you know, I mean, as you probably well aware, you know, uh, um, states you know such as California, I think New York, I believe, you know, uh, by twenty thirty five, you know, want to have all vehicles that are sold, I mean, at least in the passenger realm, you know, electric by that particular time. 
Now, and, and as you were just mentioning with the, the infrastructure and there's just a race to build that particular network, I mean, what will kind of come first? I mean, will, I mean, will that network, will that network be there by 2035? Your guess is as good as mine. You could probably ask anybody on the street and it's a little bit cloudy on that environment, but, but I think it's, it's going to be challenged. It's going to be challenged for many years to come because as these uh, vehicles start rolling, um, even on the even on the passenger side EVs, if you look at California, 40% of all EVs sold in 2022 were in California. So the obvious adoption rates are through the roof there. Obviously, the charging infrastructure will continue to, to, to grow in, in demand. But from a commercial perspective, the need to charge these vehicles is, like I said, 10x what it would be a passenger vehicle. And you can't run at night. So if you're charging these, depending on how fast you can charge these vehicles, it's going to be a big challenge. And, and you might need to increase the size of your fleet to, to manage that charging time where you otherwise could just uh, fuel up at any gas station across America or any diesel and, and keep moving. You know, that's that's a very good point. You know, there's I mean, there was just a report in Bloomberg about just on the passenger realm, realm with uh um, you know, some are figuring New York to be a desert when it comes to when it comes to EV uh, charging infrastructure. But but um, but we're here to talk about commercial commercial vehicles. And um, and, and as you said, that that demand is going to be 10 times. So for that s- small fleet, uh, mid-sized fleet owner who has those electric vehicles and is under that uh, that pressure of, of, that, of that 10 times of needed service. What are some of the things they can do to to boost production? Uh, for that battery, I mean, in, in case of uh, there's not a, a place to recharge. It's working with the shippers, right? So you're the, um, from an asset perspective, it's creating the right legs and the right network optimization in the shippers, because I, I believe that a lot of these shippers will adopt infrastructure and, and it's already happening today for charging capabilities. And it's working with that shipper to be able to charge. Think about the detention time in a parking facility or or the unload and, and load times. Those can all be opportunities for charging in theory, right? In a, you know, not necessarily drop and hook scenario, but you, you know, those types of things, there is a lot of latent time. I think the average truck is still using seven and a half hours of our log book per day, which is the same, you know, maybe seven, maybe a little bit increase as it was you know, 20 years ago when I started in logistics. So there's a lot of downtime at shippers because of, you know, the industrial component of that loading and unloading. So how can we utilize that for, for EVs and, you know, small, small and and mid fleets are really just trying to understand likely what their network can support because these trucks out there, they still have a usable distance of less than 500 and that's a max capacity. So you really want it much less than that. Well, what's some of the feedback that that you've heard from the clients you work with, you know, concerning EVs who have, uh, you know, have uh, exposure w- with EVs in that commercial space. I mean, what are some of the experiences that they're, that they're telling you? Well, it's, it's great. The drivers love them. The drivers, the drivers, you know, it's got a lot of torque. So when you're talking about, you know, grades, steep grades and things like that, they're great vehicles. They're also all new vehicles. So, so you get the advantage of all the other technology associated to that, whether it's safe driving technology and otherwise. So the drivers love it. The drivers are a precious resource obviously out there it's a a challenged environment to to support drivers so i think that will obviously drive some of the adoption of these fleets because it's it seems to be the drivers that i've talked to that drive ev trucks whether they be light or or heavy duty 
just love them. Um, I think that's the first and foremost, and I think that will drive adoption. But you know, it's it's uh in in theory, it's you know, diesel prices are not cheap right now, so having to pay for electricity is a little bit cheaper, especially from a commercial perspective. So there's some financial benefits there. Yeah, definitely. But but speaking of just about the the energy, uh, the, you know, for for anyone who's wanting to get into that in, into the, the the recharging infrastructure side, uh, the recharging side of that infrastructure, is, there definitely has to be. You were talking about you know working with shippers, but I, I would definitely think that those who who want to be in that charging space will have to speak with their their energy providers as well, and and, and that's a, a, another whole bag of worms for for fleets. And, and others, uh, and, and other shareholders to, to um, uh, you know, to, to undertake. So, I mean, and, and with that, I mean, that, that conversation is pretty important too, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's a lot of federal grants out there with the new infrastructure bill. Uh, we're upfitting a lot of our facilities. You know, we've got some around 57 facilities across the U.S. that we're upfitting for EV charging capabilities, um, you know, and, and be thinking about, you know, how, the, there are a lot of companies out there that are that are uh, that are upfitting or retrofitting local infrastructure or increasing that. You've got to understand what what the site can support. So as you as you look at new facilities, it should be a checkbox to understand um, you know what the capacity is in in that facility. But work with your local uh, jurisdiction, your 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 uh, local municipalities, because there's a lot of state and federal tax credits out there. That can really support this growth and adoption at the onset of of uh, of this curve. Well, you know, Trent, you know, one last question before we we get you out of here. And you know, first of all, thank you for for coming on to our you know, event series and, and Road Science podcast. Uh, you know, the expression, well, the analogy that you used earlier in our conversation about the cell phone. That's a very interesting one, in, in the sense that you know, with with ice with ice vehicles. When it's time to get gas, you go to a gas station, you get gas. Now, and with an uh, electric vehicle, it's it's not, I mean, it's it's simple, but it's not that simple in the, the parallels that I just described earlier. You know, um, and for, for those in that recharging space or wanting to get in that recharging space, like, you know, the truck stops, you had mentioned the warehouses and, and even the fleets that, that want to power their own EVs. Uh, you know, I'm going to ask you to put your your analyst hat on, Trent, and just make a, a sort of a bold prediction. Um, you know, where do you see that in the next five to ten years? Who's going to have that particular market space when it comes to the recharging? So, my I guess my question, you know, when a truck driver in the year 2035 is going is going down the road, where is he or she going to get that charge from? Great question. So, obviously, in your home base. So that's first and foremost. Uh, whether you're having a, you have a slip seat operation or or simply a dedicated situation so obviously at the home base the shipper and then when you think about that middle mile the the more near term or long term truck stops because that's going to be where all the other facilities are that you're already used to so as you think about this adoption curve the pump the number of pumps at truck stops have to convert to the number of ev charging at the same rate depending on the lane that uh, EVs will. EVs don't act as well in really cold climates, for example, because the battery can't hold a charge as long. Or you can't charge it as much. So as you think about, I mentioned that Phoenix to LA route, you're going to see infrastructure pop up there a lot sooner than it would uh, up in Minnesota, for example, just because uh, there's going to be more demand for it. So demand will drive 
the investments from a lot of these uh, truck stops and then obviously the infrastructure at, at home base. Well, it's definitely going to be a long game. It's going to be very entertaining right. for Larusa to, to, to look at it. We've been speaking with Trent Broberg, CEO of Assertus. Trent, it's been a pleasure having you on to the event series and the podcast. Thanks for having me, Mike. Are you using Apple Podcasts to listen to Road Signs? Here's how you can get the most out of your experience. First, subscribe to Road Signs Podcast Channel and make sure the Apple Podcast app is downloaded on your mobile device. Second, pick the episode you'd like to listen to. Third, to find more out about the episode, scroll down on the player page to see the guest details, the mission of the episode, and links to more audio offerings. You're sure to enjoy it. If you're still having difficulties tuning in, email us at share at ttnews.com for more help. Happy listening. Welcome back to a very special episode of Road Signs. As part of our Transport Topic magazine event series, Recharge, we're here to talk about EV recharging infrastructure, of course. We have have covered that in many facets. We have spoken to fleets. We have spoken to vehicle manufacturers. And now we'll get the OEM perspective. And for that, we have a 40-year veteran here with us. His name is Steve Selinski. He's the Director of Global Product Planning for Commercial Vehicles for Dana Incorporated. Welcome to the show, Steve. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate being here with you. Glad to have you on. You know, as I mentioned, you know, this is a, a program where the people listening, they're fleet managers, fleet owners, they are contemplating an electric fleet some some way, somehow. So in, in order to, to do that, you know, there's a lot of questions that are probably going through their heads. And one of those is, is just the, the difference between you know, electric parts and the internal combustion engine parts, the ICE components. And, you know, there's a lot of things when you when you talk about, you know, diesel components versus the electric components. Just, you know, it's quieter. There's less uh, need for lubricants, maybe less maintenance. But, you know, as a, you know, a person who has been in this space for quite some time and, and helped ushered that particular moment of EVs in. Uh, what's the particular difference in those co- components, the electric versus the ICE? Yeah, great question, Mike. Uh, it's exciting to be here too, because this is the most exciting time, I think, in our industry uh, with the changes we're seeing now going to battery electric vehicles. But if you think about the propulsion system in electric vehicle, there's usually a central drive motor uh, used with a conventional drive line or drive axle. There could also be a central motor with a geared uh, transmission connected to it, again, with conventional drive lines or axles. And then there's also uh, the opportunity to use uh, an e-axle that could be a single speed or multi-speeds. So that really is, is the primary propulsion system, but the big changes on the vehicle also include all the power electronics, whether you're talking about inverters for motor controllers, uh, charge control units, uh, vehicle control units, uh, transmission control units, as well as the high voltage junction boxes, uh, you have to do the cabin uh, air and uh, heat and cooling uh, capacity, as well as operating air compressors for braking systems and the electric hydraulic power steering systems. On top of all this is now software. So these electric vehicles are really considered like a rolling computer, if you will. Uh, The biggest and most expensive part of these electric vehicles tend to be the battery packs. So there's usually more than one battery pack per vehicle, especially with commercial vehicle. And then the battery management system that goes along with that and the big orange high voltage cables that you see connecting all this together. As, As you mentioned, Mike, with the diesel, you're eliminating the engine, the oil, the filters, after treatment systems, fuel systems, all that goes away. 
And at the end of the day, you're taking all the bolt-on components that typically are off the fan belt and running those as individual discrete uh, systems now on a battery electric vehicle. As you mentioned, the TCO uh, benefit for electric vehicles uh, includes uh, benefits to the driver. As you mentioned, it, it runs quieter. It's much easier to drive. It has better acceleration. But at the end of the day, the electric uh, propulsion system is really more efficient than a diesel engine. The diesel engine wastes a lot of energy through heat and noise. And overall, the electric powertrain is likely three and a half times more efficient than diesel on, on highway mode, and even up to five or seven times more energy uh, efficient in, uh, in stop and go traffic. But overall, there's roughly 30, 40% less components now on electric powertrain system versus a diesel. And then that also adds to the, the maintenance benefit and maintenance savings. You know, that about the, the components, you know, the, the, the less need, well, the, the, percentage, the, the percentage less of components that, that are needed. Um, one of those things, uh, I kind of want to talk about the production process of that. You know, as I had mentioned before, you were, I would say you were there from the beginning in the sense of you know, the, the partnerships that you had that we'll talk about later. And also just the, the, the plans that Dana had in, uh, and implemented into you know getting to this particular stage right now, and and, and because of that, could could you just uh, talk about the the scaling process of, of, of production and, and and how you know basically the, the challenges of you know meeting that increasing need for components? Well, uh, currently the ramp up rate is fairly slow, uh, so that allows us to to enter into this uh, business gradually. Uh, we're actually leveraging over 118 years of experience in developing these, these systems and then integrating these new systems into our manufacturing operations. So you can imagine we have a lot of manufacturing controls and processes in place already uh, for, uh, for run at rate, for quality systems, for processes controls. The other big fit benefit that we see to support electrification properly is we're vertically integrated on most of the components whether it's motors, inverters, axles, gears, uh, cooling systems, uh, um, high power voltage systems, building electronic cradles. We do all that in-house. So we can control the quality and the performance of those systems as we deliver to our OEM customers. The other uh, big issue with uh, ramping up production tends to be battery supply. So as many companies are now ramping up battery supply more globally, uh, bringing that capacity online is certainly gonna help availability as well as control the costs of the battery systems. The point that you made earlier, just about the, the, the that process of production, and one of the things about that process, and most manufacturers are probably going through it right now as well, is the supply chain cha challenges that that um, you know that most manufacturers are are having to deal with, especially with availability of materials and components. You know, I, I just wanted to ask, what is your approach to ensuring that consistency to the quality of parts that you had just mentioned? Well, we've got some pretty good processes in place to manage our supply base. Uh, we're also able to leverage uh, many different markets. So we're in the commercial vehicle market, but Dane is also in the light vehicle market as well as off highway markets. So we're, uh, we're able to leverage that supply base as, as well as our own internal manufacturing across the globe. So that certainly helps us in terms of being able to deliver products to our customers on time. Where, where are some of the, I mean, the, the internal challenges that you face in, in that particular process? I, I would say the biggest internal challenges are is we're adding a lot of new equipment and tooling in place to support the new business. We're like mostly putting them in existing facilities. So we have the processes and people already in place, but we're leveraging that with this new equipment and new process to support electrified systems. You know, with that, 
you know, being, you know, in, internally uh, uh, sustainable, uh, I guess, as you were just explaining, just having everything in the house, uh, that, that's one positive. Another positive is the external part of things, you know, just the collaboration and partnerships that you had. You know, back in 2019, you had a partnership with, with uh, Hylion. And you know, that that you know, matured into you know a very successful uh, venture. You know, come you know this this particular this particular year from 2019. Uh, and what about the other uh, you know partnerships that you have, especially in terms of repair and maintenance? Uh, how are you cultivating those? Well, it's, it's a good question. You know, we work closely primarily with our OEM customers as well as our fleet customers. So we were able to also leverage our internal processes that we already had being in the driveline business for so long, where uh, when it comes to supporting our external customers and partnering with them, they can use existing systems that we already have in place, such as uh, one-stop shop, one phone call, you know, basically does it all, whether you're talking about conventional or traditional products or our electrified products. We've also invested heavily to put a sustainable mobility center in place uh, near our corporate headquarters where we actually bring our partners in, our fleet customers, our uh, OEM customers, suppliers come in, and we go through vehicles, we can tear them down, we can put on training and uh, show people how to operate these vehicles, how to maintain these vehicles, and how to help them build the tools they need to support these in the field. Let me touch upon that, you know, the education part. Uh, you know, how is that relationship with, you know, I'm assuming, with, with the fleets and, and dealerships that you know, you're dealing with the, the education of, you know, maintain these parts and, and also you know, the repair of it as well? You know, how is that uh, particular relationship and how is that learning curve uh, for, for those fleets and dealerships? Well, I think, again, it's in the ramp up phase. So we have a good relationship with them and we actually visit dealers, visit fleets to provide services and training as needed on site. Uh, like I said, another benefit is to bring them in our facility because they may not have seen many electric vehicles yet since it's really just starting in our industry. Largely speaking, uh, North America or really the rest of the world is probably 10 years behind China in implementing electric commercial vehicles. Uh, so uh, so we're really lagging behind China in general as, a, as, a, as the rest of the world. And that's going to continue to grow and it's going to grow with more quality systems and systems that are reliable and actually work. You know, that's one thing I do want to touch upon, Steve, but before I, I let you go, I just kind of want to ask you one particular last question uh, on that particular subject, just kind of uh, that particular race that you were talking about with, with China and just the race for EV recharging infrastructure. Um, I want to ask you to put your analyst hat on and for, for, and for, for this particular industry question. Um, you know, where do you see the, uh, the infrastructure of, of EVs uh, just when it comes to the production and, and the recharging uh, of these vehicles when this ultimately becomes critical mass? Where do you see that um, playing? How, how do you see that playing out in the next five, 10 years? Really, we're concerned about uh, the infrastructure really lagging the need uh, in terms of uh, receiving electric vehicles. Electric vehicles are already available, and our fleet customers are, are concerned about how are they going to charge all these vehicles. So they may have to think about where else they may have to move their facilities to get access to charge stations. Uh, there's going to be an evolution of how to charge vehicles, whether it's uh, you know, wireless charging through the road, through a mat. Uh, applications such as yard spotters or uh, drayage vehicles can charge on site, which makes it very convenient, convenient so they can get more use out of these vehicles. So that's evolving as well. But uh, we do need more work on infrastructure, uh, whether there's going to be stationary power where you can actually have battery storage on site so you can charge these batteries up in off hours. So that's going to evolve over time as well. 
but right now, I, I would say that the infrastructure is probably the, the pacing item uh, that we hear from our fleet customers of how we're going to be ready to support the, uh, the move towards uh, green technology fast enough. That's what makes the future so wonderful and, and, and so exciting to anticipate. Uh, you know, we are speaking with Steve Selinski, Director of Global Product Planning, Commercial Vehicles for Dana Incorporated. Steve, it was a pleasure having you on and thanks for, for uh, teaching us the, the, the world of OEMs. Thank you, Mike. It was a pleasure to be with you today and looking forward to seeing you soon. Likewise. Did you know you can ask Alexa to open transport topics? In just one minute, you will hear the biggest trucking headlines of that day. Be prepared and start your morning off right with transport topics. Before we close, let's take a moment to revisit our original question. What's under the hood of the electric vehicle? And what will the maintenance process look like? First, we would like to thank Trip Broberg and Steve Slinsky for joining us on the podcast. The subject of EVs might have been mentioned a few times here on the podcast during the several years or so, but it's also one of the few industry issues that has reached critical mass. From the CEO of a fleet to the server at your favorite restaurant, every person has an opinion on the electric vehicle. The current challenge of EV repair and maintenance is that the very thought of it was non-existent for most people just several years ago. As Trent Broberg alluded, Although the EV market is rising, there is still a small percentage of vehicles that are out on the road today. And that is the reason why, as Steve Swinsky noted, that now is the time to think of EV repair and maintenance, especially at a large scale. That will take tech education and a robust relationship between dealers, OEMs, fleets, as well as local, state, and federal governments. While the future looks bright for EV infrastructure, the industry is taking steps to make sure that the future eventually becomes the now. To learn more about electric vehicle infrastructure, please visit ttnews.com and view the recap of our Transport Topics magazine event series, Recharge. If you enjoyed this episode of Road Signs, please let others know. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to reach out to the Road Signs team on Twitter at TTRoadSigns or reach me at Michael V. Freeze. You can email us at share at ttnews.com. We'll read them and respond daily. Also, let us know how we're doing by texting TT Survey to 571-622-0001. And of course, we'll be back in two weeks with a new episode of Road Times. Until then, I'm Michael Fries. Thank you for listening. <laughs>